Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Well, good morning, and happy Independence Day weekend. I am certainly thankful to live in a country where we were able to take our students freely to a camp to be able to worship the true living God. It was such a wonderful week. The only thing that I have to say is who decided it was a good idea to put the student pastor uh, up in the pulpit the Sunday right after camp. I really feel like I need to start like a wave right now in the crowd. Uh, that's, that's what we were doing all week. Uh, such, a, such a good week. Uh, I can't wait to share more about things that happened at camp with you guys. It was, uh, it was just a great week. If you don't know how good of a week it was, you can go talk to one of our chaperones that went. You can go ask a student how it was. Uh, but just to see 46 people from our church just come together, go to camp, hang out, and worship Jesus. It was just such a cool thing. Uh, I want to say welcome to everyone, whether you're in the room, whether you're in your living room, on your way to the beach. I'm just glad that you could join us this morning, however that might be. Uh, last time I was in this spot, just a couple of months ago, I jokingly made jokes, you know, because that's a joking thing to do, about how I was getting older, to which most of you responded, knowing that I, that this helped me know that you listened, was, you just wait, right? You just wait, Blake, you're not getting older. You just wait until you actually get older. Many of you came and said some nice things afterwards about how I was still young and full of energy, and you could see that, and I appreciate that so much. Thank you for those kind words. Uh, but it's one thing for you to make jokes about yourself <laughs> getting older, right? The other day, I was helping a college grad. She actually goes to our church. If you guys know TJ, he's our intern. It's actually his girlfriend. She's from our hometown, so I know her family. I remember teaching her in VBS whenever we were growing up. She, was, she just graduated Western, and she was moving from one apartment to the other. And uh, I, was, I was helping her move. I met myself and TJ and her family, and actually Kevin, who was on the drums for us this morning. We were all helping her move from one apartment to the other, and her grandpa, who you could tell had, had led the charge on these types of things before, he knew all the tricks. He knew how to make things easier. Uh, he had done this a time or two. He was kind of leading the charge. Uh, there was one point where he had taken apart this really nice, uh, like, cast iron, like iron, well-made bed frame. He had taken that apart. And I was just going in and grabbing stuff and taking it out. And I went in and grabbed that big, nice headboard and... I must have made a sound or something. And her grandpa looked at me, serious as can be, and said, let one of those young guys take care of that. <laughs> and I said, wait, wait, wait. How old do you think that I am? <laughs> right? I am usually what they mean by let one of those young guys. And he made another comment about how guys like us have to watch our backs. <laughs> right? Uh, so, so that was a fun thing. I thought I was joking a couple of months ago. Uh, it turns out, I guess I wasn't. <laughs> and uh, he, he made that joke, and it was a funny joke until someone else says, don't throw your back out. It's all fun and games until someone else thinks that you're actually at risk of doing that. Jokes aside, I did feel pretty good about my youthfulness this past week at youth camp. Right, it was, it, was, it was just a really fun time. I found myself sharing with other youth ministers that were there that were from Bowling Green or Logan County, which I have a connection with, of what certain youth phrases 
mean? They would say, what are they screaming and what does that mean? And I found myself able to answer them in a lot of instances. Uh, for four days straight, I felt like I could match the enthusiasm of the students. They would get up on chairs and scream, I'm a moose, and I could also get up on a chair and scream, I'm a moose. I was waking up before everyone else would. I was going to bed after everyone else was, and I felt like I was doing a pretty good job of keeping the energy level up, and then Tuesday morning hit. Tuesday morning hit, and what happened on Tuesday morning is we came back from camp. We chartered there. We took a bus there, and all of a sudden, it was as if the Lord had just said, okay, I've sustained you this far. You don't need all that energy anymore. It's time to take a nap. We got on that charter bus, and the only reason I kept myself awake on that charter bus was so that an overly enthusiastic student didn't draw on my face while I was asleep. We went home, I took a nap. I am not a nap taker, but I took a nap as soon as we got back home. And then I took Wednesday off just so I could fully recover. My voice was absolutely gone. I can't tell you the last time that I lost my voice. Well, I can, it was probably about a year ago at Crossings, at camp last year. My voice was gone, it was absolutely shot. It was a combination of screaming at the top of my lungs for the morning celebration and also a little bit of screaming at the middle school boys to just please prop, practice proper hygiene. Just really begging and pleading with him. Side tangent, I think it's almost like an initiation for a middle school boy to as soon as they get in their settled, nice, neat room to just take a couple of personal bags of chips, crush them up, and just sprinkle them around the room. I'm pretty sure that's just something that they all do uh, as if they're marking their territory. Like, this is my space. And you can see that because of all the cheese that's on the ground. They were absolutely everywhere. And so I lost my voice a little bit just because I had to let the middle school boys know that Cheez-Its don't belong on the floor. Camp was over and my need for being sustained was gone. It was now we were entering into a day, we were entering in a time for rest. It was the same way with the other adults. And it wasn't just the adults. We're not just people that are getting older and need more rest. It was the students, too. If you don't believe me, ask the other adults. If you don't believe them, ask the parents of the students whose students were useless the next day. We were all useless. We didn't need that energy more not anymore. I was actually chatting with one of the chaperones the other day, and she said it was clearly a God thing that I was able to stay up as late as I did, get up as early as I did, and still not run out of energy until I got home. Back in 2013, for me, that was something that was definitely exemplified. I was a crossing staffer. So that means that I was one of the people in the yellow, bright shirts that was running around doing all the crazy things nonstop. I went from May 24th of that summer to August 3rd on absolute full throttle. I never lost my voice. I always stayed energized. It was a full, full summer, 2013 was. We had these things called clopenings. If you don't know what a clopening is, that means that you closed a camp, you closed a week of camp one day, and then that, that next, in the next four hours, more campers came in for another week of camp. So we, we had several of those. That summer in 2013, I'm sure it's been broken since then, but that summer we actually broke the record for how many clopenings there were. August 3rd hit that summer, and it was as if the Lord said, great summer. 
I no longer desire your energy and I no longer need your voice for the next few days. Just rest. Did you know from May 24th to August 3rd, I did not lose my voice until noon on August 3rd. It was as if the Lord sustained us. I believe oftentimes the Lord works how only He can work so that all we are left to do is look at the circumstance, look at the situation, and say, that was clearly the Lord. There is no other explanation. And that's what we're talking about this morning. If you would, turn with me to Judges chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 1 through 23. So turn there, flip there, Judges chapter 7. Starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down of the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent. But retain the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Verse 9. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites... And all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. 
God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 19, so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the and the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled and they blew, they blew the 300 trumpets. The Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerarah, as far as the border of Abelamolala by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Let's pray. Father God, you are good, and Judges 7 is so important to us as believers in 2022. I pray that as we look at this text, as we apply it to our lives, that we can glorify you with the truth that it has to offer. We love you. We are thankful for you. It's in your son's heavenly name we do pray. Amen. It's a lot of scripture, but there's so much that's going on. I was talking to a couple people this morning about how this passage could probably be preached on for a few weeks in a row, and still not all of the truths would come from it. But this morning, we're going to look at three basic truths. But before we do that, I just want to give you a small summary of what happened. We have the Israelite people. They had a lot of really good soldiers who were willing to fight. But the Lord tells Gideon, you have too many. You started off with 32,000. Gideon starts off with 32,000 soldiers who are willing to fight. And then the Lord says, that's too many. So 22,000 are given, the, are, all 32,000 are given the option to go home. Gideon says to them, hey, if you're scared, you can go home. And 22,000 soldiers go home. So there's only 10,000 soldiers that are actually left. I mean, they cut the army into a third. I mean, I mean, less than a third. The Lord tells Gideon, there's still too many. He tells Gideon, out of the 10,000, take them to drink water. And they're going to drink one of two ways. If they drink by bringing the water to their mouth and they lap like a dog, then you're going to set them off to the left. And, you know, if they kneel down and drink the water out of the river, you're going to set them off to the right. Out of 10,000 people... 300 of them drank one way, 9,700 drank a different way. If I'm Gideon, I'm just thinking, please let me keep the 9,700. But the Lord says, perfect, you have an even 300. Take the 300 that lapped like a dog. That is going to be your army. The Lord says, keep the 300, send everyone else back to their tents. When there was 32,000 people, 
I have to assume that Gideon was probably feeling pretty good. 32,000, I mean, we know, we know their strength in numbers, right? 32,000 people, he had to be feeling pretty good. And now he has 300, and they haven't fought a single fight. I bet he's probably feeling a little bit distraught. And we know he's feeling a little bit distraught because the Lord says, if you're afraid, you and your friend Pura, you guys can sneak into the camp and see that the other, so, so, so Gideon and Pura sneak into the opposing enemy's camp and they see that the opposing enemy is actually worried. They see that this guy had a dream and it is interpreted to say that Gideon is going to beat the Midianites, right? Gideon and his army will win the battle. So Gideon feels pretty good after that dream is interpreted. He goes back, he hatches this plan, and what ends up happening is that they will go on to defeat the Midianites and Amalekites. And from all of this this morning, we see what I believe to be three wonderful truths. And if you take notes, this is where I would start. Point number one, God is responsible for the victory. No one else, not Gideon, not Pura, not Blake, not Pastor Jeff, the only person who is ever responsible for any victory is the Lord. There were 300 men. That was Gideon's army versus how many people that were the Midianites and the Amalekites? They were numbered as many as the locusts. Their camels were without number. There were so many opposing enemies. They started off, so, so Gideon starts off with 32,000 men. And the Lord says, that's just too many. I know what's going to happen is you're going to go back and you're going to say, well, of course we should have won. We had 32,000 men who were fighting. So the Lord says, no, it needs to be smaller. So then there were 10,000 men, and that's still less than 32,000, but it's still an awful lot of people. The Lord says, that's still too many people. The Lord wanted Gideon to take enough people in to this battle to where when they won, the only explanation was that the Lord's hands were all over it. That's what he wanted to happen. We just got back from camp, so you'll have to excuse me just because camp is on my brain. So at camp, the students get to choose the certain activities that look fun to them. And as a student, you have to hope that you choose three activities and you get those three exact activities. If not, you give them some backup activities, and sometimes they'll give you some of those activities. But here's the cool part about being a chaperone, is I go where I want to go. So there was a day, it was about 100 degrees outside, and so I thought, I'll try something inside today. So I went to laser tag. And laser tag is super fun at crossings. They do a really good job with it. And so I go to laser tag. I walked in a little late. The students had already played a few rounds. And I had a group of boys, a group of our boys come up to me. And they were like, Blake, we are killing it in here. And for those of you who don't understand what killing it means, that means that they are doing really good. They were killing it. They said, we are killing it in here. We beat the other team by 60,000 points. And for those of you guys who don't know, that's really good. They were indeed killing it. I was impressed. I said, oh, man, you guys are some sharpshooters, some real strategizers. I look at the team that they're on, and 
I mean, half the people are taller than me. The, these high school students with full beards and families waiting for them back home, you know? I mean, they're just, they're over there in the corner talking in Navy SEAL. I got your six. You got my six? Like, yeah, for sure. And they're over there. There's a couple of them learning Morse code over in the corner just for while they're on the laser tag field. I mean, they're, they're, they're some talented laser taggers, I tell you. Then I look over to the team that they beat by 60,000 points, and I kid you not, every single one of them, a middle school girl that comes up to about my waist. <laughs> and I look at the boys and I said, who split these teams up? Who thought that this was fair? I'm not impressed anymore. I'm not impressed. So I joined the girls team. I felt like Shania Twain. I was just like, let's go girls, <laughs> you know. Let's get them. It's like, I'm not joining Uroff's team. I'm joining their team, and we will take you down. And they beat us, but not by 60,000 points. Uh, I looked at him, and I said, I expect you to win. You have trained soldiers on your team. These girls just want to, I mean, they just, they're just, they literally just showed up to have, have fun at laser tag, and you guys, like, came in ready to knock some people out with your laser taggers, you know? I expect you guys to win. God wanted there to be very little room for anyone other than him to get the credit in the battle. And with 32,000 people, that's just enough people for them to say, yeah, we're expected to win. And the Lord thought that even with 10,000 people, that was enough to say, yeah, we're expected to win as well. But 300 people, there's, there's, only, there's only one reason for them winning. That, that one reason is because it was all God. It was because God did it. I think we often forget the victories, big and small, are only by the hand of God. We made it through a whole week of camp, fully energized, no loss of our voice, totally ready for whatever the day had to offer. And that in and of itself was a victory of the Lord. One student gave his life to Christ this past week. Another student said that he gave his life to Christ back in February, and he told people for the first time this week, and we're super excited about that, to talk to him more about what baptism means. That's not a Blake victory. That's not a Crossings victory. That's not a First Baptist victory. That is a victory of the Lord. Sometimes we have to sit back and be reminded that God is the God of salvation. He is the one who is responsible for the victory. And for the unsaved soul out there, let me tell you, let me tell you why that's good news. If it was up to me to do the saving, I would eventually fail you. If it was up to Pastor Jeff to do the saving, he would eventually fail you, but Jesus will not fail you. Point number two, God utilizes the people in our life to encourage us. We see that in verses 9 through 11a. It says this right here. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. God says to Gideon, Gideon, I've got this, but I know you're worried. So let me ease your mind just a little bit. Go down to the camp where the Midianites and the Amalekites are camping. If you're scared, take your servant, Pura. I love verse 11b. This is what 11b says. It says, then he went down with Pura. So what's not said in Scripture, but what we can, it can be implied, is that Gideon was scared. 
Because the Lord says, if you're scared, take Pura. And so the next verse we see, and Gideon and Pura went down. Who strengthened Gideon in that moment? His servant, Pura. Someone that the Lord gave him to encourage him. They go down to the camp. That means Gideon was scared, and he was this leader of 32,000 at one point, and he's still scared because now he's only got 300 people. But that's okay because God utilizes the people in our life to encourage us. I've always heard this, and I'm a firm believer in it. There should be three types of relationships that a Christian should have. You need a Paul, you need a Barnabas, and you need a Timothy. That is, you need someone to be pouring into you. You need someone to disciple you, like Paul, like a Paul. You need someone to encourage you, to walk alongside you, to minister in the faith with you. That's a Barnabas. And you need someone to be pouring into, just as Paul did to Timothy. You need a Timothy that you can be pouring into. That's what discipleship is. A side note, if you're looking for a few Timothys to pour into, I can hook you up with some names of some college students, some youth-age students that would love some well-seasoned believers to be discipling them. Gideon, this fearless leader, still needed someone to help him along, and Pura was that guy for him. Point number three, God moves when his people are sold out for him. Verse 16 through 18, and then 20 says this right here. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. And then we skip down to verse 20 and it says, then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. Somehow, some way, this army that was dwindled from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300, 300 people versus a numerous Midianite army that's all we know, that they were as numerous as locusts. Somehow, Gideon convinces them to fight. 300 people versus a numerous army, a huge army. And he says, here's how we're going to do it. Take your swords and throw them to the side. Pick up your trumpets and pick up a jar. And this jar that he would be speaking of would probably be just like this clay pot. And then they would put the torch in so you couldn't see the torch. And so he said, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to have a sword in our hand. What we're going to do is we're going to surround their camp. We're going to blow the trumpets with one hand. And we're going to smash the jar so they can see our torches with the other hand. And they're just going to think that we're this, this huge army because typically armies don't fight with trumpets and torches, right? Those would just be some other people that are, that, are, that are saying, hey, our army's coming. So they do that. They send the Midianite army into a frenzy, and the Lord wins the battle because of that. What a cool picture that we see of the Lord winning the battle just because 300 people decided to be sold out for him. I have a question for you this morning. Are you sold out for the Lord? Are we sold out for the Lord? I have to wonder what this community of Bowling Green, Kentucky, what Southern Kentucky could look like if we were just sold out for the Lord's plan. Imagine what would happen if when we listen to the Lord whenever he said, today we aren't winning with the sword, we're winning with a trumpet.
I believe one of our biggest issues is that we're still trying to win the battle that's already been won. Jesus already did it. He already won. He already lived. He died. He rose victoriously. He already won. First Baptist Church, this morning, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to win the battle. You just have to fight in it. We are called to fight for the Lord, to fill out, to, to fulfill the great commission. If you sit where you are this morning, you already know Jesus. Fight the battle. Be sold out for him. Be encouraged by your brothers and sisters in Christ and understand there is nothing that you can do to win because the victory has already been won. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you can. Jesus saves, and the victory is his. He will not fail you even though the world will. He will love you even when the world may not. He alone can save you when no one else can. The gospel is this simple. We saw a video while we were at camp. It was Alistair Begg, the famous quote, what have you done to deserve heaven? The answer is the man on the middle cross said I could come.